Hey everyone, it's Mike here. Uh, Before we get started with this week's podcast, I just wanted to apologize in advance for some of the audio quality. Um, We had a few technical difficulties in the edit, and after a few minutes, uh, Norm and Aaron's voice start to sound a little echoey. Uh, It's my fault, my mistake, but uh, I didn't want to throw away the whole podcast because it was a really good episode, I felt, and I wanted to put it out anyway, so here it is. And, uh, we're a young podcast. We're getting better. I'm learning stuff every week. And so, uh, I promise the next one will be even better, but, uh, enjoy this one for what it is. And we hope you, uh, we hope you like it. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of VGM Generations. I'm Mike Posbon, and with me, as always, is Aaron Belauchuk. Hi. And Jordan Belitsky. Hello. And this week, instead of having a fan pick, we brought the fan here. Welcome, Norm Gearart. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, why don't, uh, before we get started, why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about your video game history, since it is VGM Generation, so. All right. Um, I've been playing video games probably since the NES. Uh, That was my first system. Um been a fan of game music ever since. I think the first game that taught me that video game music meant business was Mega Man 2. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a <laughs> local favorite. Yeah, we rented a lot of games, and uh, Mega Man 2, the, the tunes really stuck with us, and, you know, my mom was, to the point where my mom was humming tunes. And stuff. <laughs> oh, wow. So, okay, there yeah. you go. Yeah. To this day, that soundtrack is still in, like, regular rotation on my playlist. So. Yeah. 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 I think for all of us, for sure. I thought you were going to say, till this day, his mom is still singing those tunes. That's true. That's right. It drove her insane. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, my parents came with me to the the Zelda Symphony of the Goddesses. uh, Oh, did they really? Just a couple years ago. So they they were fans. That's cool. I mean. That's awesome, yeah. Yeah. Been playing video games ever since and uh, listening to music ever since as well. So So what's what's your favorite game of all time? I just want to know. My favorite game of all time? That's a, that's a pretty tough question, but um, I'm going to have to go with Ultima Underworld for the PC. <laughs> yeah, PC love. There we go. There you yeah. go. There's that PC love. Yeah. Just uh, incredible atmosphere for its time. And uh, yeah, just technically and uh, thematically, that game just, just fit for me. Yeah. So. It was Skyrim before there was Skyrim. Skyrim, I feel, is almost like a spiritual successor to that. It's about it right. feels similar in a lot of ways. Oh, okay. I never played it, so I don't know. Um, Good music, too. Yeah, there you go. Uh, maybe it'll come up. So, uh, for those that don't know, VGM stands for Video Game Music, and we are taking you through the generations. Basically, once a month, three friends, sometimes four, uh, with very gaming backgrounds get together and take you through some of their favorite music from the games they love. This month, we are talking about Rare, the developer. Rareware, or Rare Limited, as they actually are called now. Um, so, yeah, we're going through our favorite Rare it uh, doesn't matter what it was on, doesn't matter who composed it, even though we might see, start to see some trends. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we're uh, we're going with Rare. And well, I, yeah. oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, Rare has a ridiculously long history. So, you know, yeah, they're, and their games span generations, just like. Absolutely, yeah. And a lineage of great music to go along with those mm-hmm. games. So, yeah, so to kick it off, I'll start. Uh, for me, the first pick uh, is. 
the institute menu theme from perfect dark i <laughs> <laughs> get a lot of that like title theme menu theme. yeah worst named song yeah but it i don't know it's like that's the stuff that sticks oh, right yeah. because that's the stuff you hear every time you play and it represents the game it becomes yeah it becomes the, the theme for the game for you personally yeah so but the yeah the institute menu uh from perfect dark uh game came out in uh 2000 um it was the kind of the spiritual successor to goldeneye but definitely more sci-fi um same team uh that developed it um and they built it off the goldeneye engine but by the time they were done they said that only about 30 percent of the original engine uh remained because they upgraded it so extensively and they had used the expansion pack on that one as well yeah that's yeah i was about to mention that but uh i I was going to say that i also heard and i don't know if this may be in your notes but mm -hmm. they were actually building a sequel they were doing like tomorrow never dies that's true yeah i i did read it's not in my notes but i did read they were they were doing tomorrow never dies and they got massively outbid yeah by i can't remember who do you know who it was was it activision didn't catch who actually won that but anyway yeah somebody massively outbid them for it and then they were like okay well we'll just make something else so um it wasn't it wasn't kind of a big deal for them it it seemed like in the article i read well it's nice that they could turn that game into another game which was probably you know as as well loved as golden absolutely yeah and so um obviously it had a female protagonist um martin hollis who was the game director um basically said he wanted um more games centered on women and believed games should be more centered on women so that's why he he deliberately chose a female protagonist um eveline fisher was the voice of joanna dark and that name will come up again a little later uh for my second pick but um she 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 was actually she's actually a a composer herself and um has worked with rare for many years um it was rated m which was different for Nintendo. And it was kind of like a, it was kind of a touchy subject uh, for some people. I didn't realize that. Why was it rated M? For violence or language? Language. It was language. Um, and I, I actually distinctly, I have a personal memory here is um, one of the things was, uh, one of the things that was unique about the game was that the guards, the AI in the game was really good. And um, the guards would talk in the background. Um, without you being there and you could kind of listen in on their conversations and one of the things that they said um, when you would hear them was uh, they would say the word bitch and that was like and there was actually a menu in the game to turn that off and I never knew about this I didn't even notice it when I was playing the game maybe I just didn't wait long enough or hear it or whatever I, I, I generally plow through pretty hard in games but um, my buddy told me his mom like made him turn it off so she read somewhere that this was an option and she's like you have to go in the game and you have to turn it off because they say the b word and he was like because at the time right so um, came out uh, year 2000 um, the the song I picked uh, was composed by not a guy named Grant Kirkhope um he's been a a composer with rare for a lot of years um and what else did i want to say oh um this the album when it first came out um was perfect dark dual cd soundtrack the only way to get it was to order it through nintendo power magazine so there was like an like one of those mail away things in nintendo power and that was the only way to originally get the double cd soundtrack um 
Oh, to go back to the expansion pack. It so you actually technically you didn't need the expansion pack to play the game, but if you didn't have the expansion pack, all you could do was you could play like a really weak multiplayer. It was like That's visually right. it looked like crap, and it didn't have any of the um, it didn't have any of the Sims, which was another thing I wanted to talk about the customizable Sims because that's never been done again, as far as I know. And because you mentioned AI earlier, how yeah. it was, and that was what made the multiplayer so much fun. Yeah, it was super fun. You could play some GoldenEye-esque multiplayer by yourself. If yeah, you didn't have any oh, friends. Yeah, because yeah, you had like the really there was the easy yeah. there was I think there was easy medium hard and then dark sims and dark sims were like had like special powers and stuff and then there was all these variants like called like the meat sim who was just like yeah, meat bag yeah exactly there was like uh the kamikaze sim who would just run around with a grenade and blow himself up next to you like that was that i've never seen that again that that much customization in sims in a in a multiplayer yeah. game it was yeah. great that was the first game that i remember ever actually having bots as a concept mm-hmm. yeah yeah fantastic but uh uh, I just wanted talking about the expansion pack. Did they ever? Was it ever actually required for anything ever again? Well, it was uh, like for any other game or other game, like tons was, of games. I don't remember uh, well ever having a game where it said it was required. Put a pin in that. Maybe Rogue Squad because we're coming back to that. We're coming back to that on my next pick. So, but basically, yeah, only about thirty-five percent of the game was available, and none of the campaign was available without the expansion pack. So you needed the expansion pack, and basically, what it was was um, Rare just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing the boundaries on the game and finally they got to the point where like we need the ram like we need the extra memory we can't do it without it like and they didn't basically they were faced with the choice of um cut it back so that everyone can play it or just say look you can play some of it but if you want the full game you kind of play it that was the dlc that was the season's pack <laughs> yeah basically Ooh. yeah so but uh so that's what they did so um but yeah that's more about the game um, than than the music, but this music to me is like is the essence of this game, right? It's very sci-fi. It's kind of you can almost feel like the GoldenEye influence in the song. GoldenEye in space. Yeah, basically, right? And it, and they talked about being really um, influenced by the sci-fi movies of the time. Um, oh, what's the one? The one with uh, Indiana yeah. Jones. <laughs> Blade Runner. Blade Runner, of course. Yeah, Blade Runner. Um, yeah, that like Space Indiana Jones. Space Indiana Jones. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Blade Runner was like one of the big influences on the game and, and things of that nature. And it does have that, that feeling and that sort of music. So let's have a listen to the Institute menu.
like listening to this theme yeah it sounds like the golden eye soundtrack but it, just a little different yeah exactly yeah you can feel like the golden eye roots in the music which you, is interesting you listen to it and you almost feel like at any moment it's gonna go like exactly yeah yeah there's there's almost a there's a gap in my gaming history where I missed a bunch of the N64 games. Oh, okay. The year I moved out of my parents' house to university, I was staying on campus, so I didn't have access to console, so I missed out Perfect Dark, um, actually Ocarina of Time, which yeah. is a scandal and <laughs> you know, can't leave this room. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's I right. No one must know. I played it eventually. It was awesome. Being on campus, like there wasn't like the one guy who had the uh, N64. We, we had a Super NES. Yeah. Oh, okay. Eventually, but yeah, yeah. It's just that that era, that N sixty four, early N sixty four era, was like for me at my age. Like that was the that was the time I really dove in. Right. Like people had. I had a Genesis and I loved it and played lots on it. But um, it was in that sixty four era that everybody really got into it. Right. It was like. Every time you get together, we're playing Mario Kart. Yeah. Like that's all we're doing, yeah. right? Or yeah. we're playing six of your life. And I think everybody like at a different age has like a different console for which that is true. Yeah, exactly. And that the 64 is definitely the console for me. So, it, and it's funny because it's like it, it's one of the most, uh, it's one of the limitest, most limited libraries that I have. Like I don't have a lot of 64 games, but it it wasn't just my 64 that I was playing on, right? It was everybody at everybody's friends, you know, everybody's house. That's what, that's where we were playing. So I remember going for sleepovers and my one friend, uh, he kind of had one before all of us. And so we go over and he had Mario Kart and that was like, that was the business, right? You like go over and play Mario Kart. So now stop me if I've told this story before, but uh, when we bought the N64, uh, we didn't want to tell our parents, me and my brother didn't want to tell our parents that we'd actually bought a new console. Oh, like you guys went out and bought it together. Like we went out together. How old, how old were you in the 64 hit? I was in, I was in high school or junior high. Okay. Yeah. Probably. So that makes sense. Sense. I was making money. So yeah, exactly. Like, I couldn't have bought one at the time either. <laughs> Me and my brother we decided to. Our excuse was our parents were out, but if they came back and realized we weren't home, our excuse was we went out for ice cream. Oh, so you had it all planned. We had it all planned. Oh, very good. We drove to a superstore and we bought an N64. And then we were trying to keep it secret that we actually had the N64. So we were trying to kind of play it in secret. Then we realized that my parents didn't know the difference between the N64 and the Genesis. So we just started like, playing it in the open and just not mentioning it. And like, you know, they, they would walk by, they would look at the screen, but they would have no idea that there was any difference between this and the But it was in 3D. Exactly. You know, it's just games. Just yeah. Games are games. Yeah. And they're both black consoles. So yeah. what's the difference? Yeah. I remember my uh, sister the first time I showed her a game on, I think it was PlayStation. PlayStation 2 and uh, I showed her I, I don't remember what game it was but um, I was like Lisa come in here and look at this and like I just got it right and uh, I was playing something on it I think it was Ratchet I mean, it might have been Ratchet and Clank and I was like blown away at the time I was like this is gorgeous like look at this game and she comes in and she's like that doesn't look any different than the 64 I was like get out <laughs> get out <laughs> You'll never be a gamer. You're not worthy. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, Jordan, you want to go next? Sure. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll jump around the table here. Um, 
I couldn't I couldn't imagine doing uh, an episode on Rare without having this in the library at some point. So uh, the next song I want to introduce is from Donkey Kong Country 2. And I'm sure most people know the song already. It's called Sticker, Br- Sticker Brush Symphony. And just rolls off the tongue. It does. Yeah. It's a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> it's hard to say. Sticker Brush Symphony. And it's one of the few songs from that library that people actually know the name of the song over the name of the level. Because I was actually trying to remember what uh, what the level was, because I thought for a while the level was actually called Sticker Brush Symphony, but it's actually called Bramble Scramble. <laughs> another great name. It's like a synonym time. And there's another level that it's uh, that it plays in later on in the game called uh, Screech's Sprint. Uh, but both uh, both of the levels, they have the same thing in common. They're they're the bramble uh, bush levels that you navigate through in, in Donkey Kong Country. Um, there, the music is, I would say, my my personal favorite from David Wise from the entire Rare Library. And so I should mention that. Uh, uh, th- the juxtaposition of the song with the levels. They're the most difficult levels in the whole entire game. And this is probably the most calming, beautiful song in the entire game. So it's kind of nice. You're in this really stressful level, dying a hundred times, but you have like the most beautiful song playing in the background and it keeps making you want to come back for more. Maybe so. they did that in testing. They had a more intense song at first, but like people were getting so angry that they were quitting. They had to have something to draw people back in. I, Guys, I we've so. broke 27 controllers. What's going on? We got to do something. We need so. to chill them out a bit. Yeah. David, go compose something. <laughs> Uh, the, the levels are actually kind of fun. I know most people will say they're, you know, they're hard, uh, they're unfair, but really, like, they're kind of neat. Like, if you remember the Donkey Kong games, um, they're, you get to play as or with uh, little animal helpers, too. So in some of these levels uh, with the brambles, you become Squawks the bird. So you're actually oh, yeah. flying through these bushes, and it's like, uh, I guess the point of the bramble bushes is that the ceiling, the walls, the floor, everything is covered in thorns. So you're essentially trying to navigate through this level by shooting through barrels or flying essentially the ground is lava yeah, you can't touch anything yeah. exactly so really difficult stuff but uh, some of the most beautiful music I think he's ever composed and uh, I think an essential for a, ra- a rare episode so let's take a listen to sticker brush symphony Thank you. 
some uh, interesting information when trying to dig deeper into the David Wise collection for this game. Oh, okay. One thing that I came across was uh, this album was such a, has had such a big fan following that the uh, overclocked remix community, uh, they decided to cover the entire album. A bunch of fans from around the world came together to cover the whole album of, of uh Donkey Kong Country 2. And the interesting thing was that this came across the desk of David Wise, and he thought it was such a cool idea that he actually contributed a remix of his own to his own album with the fans. So if you find this album out there or look it up online, it's called Serious Monkey Business by the OC Remix community. Um, I believe you can actually find it on OC Remix. Uh, And the very last song on the album is a remix by David Wise. So. Pretty, pretty interesting. Remixing his own song on a fan album. Exactly. That's cool. That, that's kind of that, like... It says a lot about the guy. That's that's pretty awesome. That's kind of Domino's, though. It's like, you know, everybody's like, oh, man, I love David Wise. And then David Wise just shows up. He's like... Pow. You know who's the biggest fan of David Wise? <laughs> this guy. This guy. <laughs> David Wise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like to see that stuff. When the, uh, the original artists get involved with the community, it's, it's nice to see... It's yeah. a super positive thing, yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. nice to see if they're like humble or super full of them. That's well, yeah, <laughs> and and you have to imagine all the fans that were actually working on this album to have David Wise reach out to them. Like, oh yeah, what a boost to oh yeah, the confidence that is to have him support you like that. Mm. Do you guys remember what happens when you finish the levels in Donkey Kong Country Two? The best thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> Dave well, Kong whips out a boombox. Yeah. And oh right. Yeah. 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 Ridiculous. Is that only if you complete it like with all the letters and stuff, or is no. that always just? Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it is regardless. Okay. I believe it's if you beat it, like if you hundred percent it or get all the bonuses, then uh, the f- is it a flag that comes up in that one, or am I thinking of Donkey Kong Three? I, can't I think the flag. I'm I'm really bad with Donkey Kong, but I think the flag was three. What is the ch- the end checkpoint 
Is it? Oh, it's you jump on you jump on the the springboard that activates yeah. the barrel. Um, yeah, and so I forget if because in Donkey Kong Three there's an extra bonus that changes if you get a hundred percent. I don't remember in two, mm. but I should we should probably add that on top of Diddy's being cool, Dixie Kong she starts headbanging, she pulls out an electric guitar and starts rocking. <laughs> so it's very appropriate for oh yeah, it's for very the podcast yeah. And I think they did a different version. I think they did a different version for each level. Okay. Like the, the Diddy Kong rapping or whatever it was was the same, but the background accompaniment was it fit. Oh, the music actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, because when you do like one of the lava cave levels, it has more reverb and echo, and it sounds totally different than when you're outside in the forest. Yeah. 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 Now, speaking of Donkey Kong Country and its sequels, was there a big difference between them? I would say yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. There, it's all. Uh, different characters well every between the three games the the character changed so um, we all know the first game donkey and diddy Mm -hmm. then diddy went over to the second game and they introduced dixie then the third game dixie went over and they introduced kitty Mm. and the themes of the game changed the first one was kind of like the generic run through the jungle go through the different elements and worlds that you would expect fire levels ice levels etc but then two introduced sort of a pirate theme to the overall game. And you went into more uh, abstract places like you went through beehives and through roller coasters and all these weird, crazy places, haunted houses. And then by the time they got back to three, it sort of became a bit more generic again and it was closer to the first game. Was two better? I would say that overall, most people would say two is the best, Mm -hmm. but some will argue that one is as good, if not better. And I think it's pretty unanimous that Three is probably the weakest of the bunch. Mm. Yeah, two is my favorite. I I'll, I'll agree because I'm not a big DK I, fan. So I think two, they uh, they knocked it out of the park. I think they took what was great about the first one and they improved on it. But there's definitely a quality to the first one. Uh, so, oh, this confirms our theory yes. that always the number two game in a series is the best game in that it, series. It, yeah. Always. It's yeah. It's a it's a real theory. Mega <laughs> Man Two, Donkey Kong Country Two, well, Creed, Creed Two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just look at all the Valve games, right? They they yeah. stop at two for a reason. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Everyone is Half Life Two. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we never move on, it'll always be the best. Oh me? Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, first of all, just because we're talking about rare and rareware and how they have a really long and storied history, is that I kind of had an idea in my head of which songs I was going to pick when we when we started, but then I started looking through the library of rare games, and it suddenly hit me that how many of my favorite soundtracks over the years were actually rare games that I didn't even realize. And these aren't all games I didn't realize, but like RC Pro M, we know is a classic. These are just some honorable mentions, not what I'm actually playing, but yeah. but I really love their soundtracks as a whole. So RC Pro Am. Even Marble Madness, uh, California Games, and uh, one of my favorites that is really ridiculously difficult and not really a great game overall, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. It's also a really good game. So, And one thing that most of these games have in com- common is that they're all composed by David Wise. Yeah. As we've mentioned David Wise. Is, he's been, he was working at the company for almost 25 years, so he's covered a lot of ground. It's kind of hard not to pick a song by him when you're when you're talking about rare stuff. So. Yeah, like I said at the top of the podcast, it's kind of the unofficial yeah. David Wise podcast as well as the rare podcast. So. Yeah, that said, my first David Wise pick is uh, the game Wizards and Warriors, which was, uh, which was in 1990. Is that right? I don't even think that's right. I think it was like 1986, Wizards and Warriors. Anyway, my notes are wrong. 
uh, Wizards and Warriors was the first game in the series Wizards and Warriors. They actually had a couple of sequels and uh, popular characters from that. It was published by Acclaim. And actually, 1987. 87? So it's, yeah, even older. Yeah. So I, I, I seem to recall it being 86, 87. This game came out before I was born. <laughs> Maybe there was an arcade release of it in 86? No, I don't no? think so. Okay. Because I think it was, this was the first stab at it. Okay. That this is a, sort of a rare original property. And I put original property in sort of parentheses and sort of air quotes there as well. Because, uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it was basically a mishmash of fantasy elements, which is funny because I didn't even realize some of the names until I was looking it up. And uh, it's got some original things. I don't know if like Castle Iron Spire or whatever it was called is from something, but you actually the first place you travel in the game is a place called the Forest of Elrond. <laughs> Elrond nice. Is, is that elf guy who lives in Rivendell from Lord of the Rings? If you're nerdy enough like me to know that. Yep. And uh, me too. also it mentions like Excalibur and Merlin and other fantasy elements. Even before the podcast started, we were talking about how Wizards and Warriors is just because they probably couldn't use the name Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> the same sort of thing. Yeah. So they just ripped that right off. Anyway, uh, I was going to mention that uh, one note that I, that I came across that was kind of funny about this game, just because I didn't find a lot of notes about this game overall, but... Uh, I saw that it was featured in Nintendo Power's 1989 issue, and it was chosen as the best game to use with the NES Advantage controller. And if you don't know what the Advantage controller is, it's basically a big, almost like fight stick. It was before fight sticks were a thing. It was a big joystick for the NES. I thought it was a controller for the Statue of Liberty. Is that not what it's <laughs> that, for? That is that is what it's best oh. known for. Okay. <laughs> yeah, if you remember, if people remember Ghostbusters 2, it's what they used to control the Statue of Liberty in the end. But I have that controller. I actually love that because it allowed you had huge buttons allowed you to use turbo and stuff like that it had a slow motion button that when you pushed it all it did would pause and unpause, pause and unpause yeah really that's fast, the worst which was the worst because most games had a menu so the menu's trying to come up and then go away yeah. so, imagine yeah. playing Mega Man like that right but that made me laugh because Nintendo Power said this was the best game to use with the NES Advantage controller saying that the joystick would allow players to concentrate on other strategic gameplay elements which is the biggest BS thing <laughs> in the world today. you know they got the mandate down from like head office that we need to sell the NES Advantage so you've got to say something nice about it. What games are coming out? Yeah. Wizards and Warriors. Alright, that's the one. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. The joystick no. would allow players to concentrate on other strategic gameplay elements. That because the D-pad is so distracting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is the worst marketing I've ever seen. So, <laughs> so onto my track. This is actually this track is called The Forest of Elrond from the Game Wizards
entire movie based around the NES Advantage, the way they tried to sell the Power Glove. Yeah. And they should have. It's so, <laughs> I love the Power Glove. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> Which was really true, but anyway. They managed to they sell. They would have sold Super Mario 3 anyway, but they sold a lot of Super Mario 3 because of that movie. Oh, yeah. They probably didn't sell a lot of Power Gloves because of that movie. No. no. But I bet they might have actually. I bet you Ghostbusters two sold a lot of NES advantages. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Do you do you know if Nintendo paid for that um, to be in the movie? I don't know if they did, but they probably did. They, I imagine they did, because that was kind of their mo at the time was what? to like jam that yeah, shit and other shit at the same time. <laughs> it's almost like Nintendo wouldn't have to do that either because they were that big that if you wanted to reference video games in any sort of way. Yeah. Well, the only yeah, thing Nintendo to reference was Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. You, weren't, you didn't see a lot of TV shows with people with Sega controllers or no. Master Systems. It was... It was a good pop culture sort of touchstone at the time. Yeah. <laughs> this track is funny because it's it's basically like a 10-second loop. Not much happens in it. It's basically a baseline to... You really, when you're listening to it, you have to listen to the sort of stuff that's happening underneath the baseline. I, I noticed it, yeah. Because yeah. I'd taken a it's, listen to this earlier, and yeah, you have to listen closely, but there's an underlying beat there too. And it does sort of vary. So there's like a melody that sort of like travels up and down, sort of underneath the baseline. Yeah, I would say on top of the baseline, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, I only say underneath because the baseline is so overpowered. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's for some reason level yeah. on anything in like the treble area is really low but it's cool yeah no i like that one it's a good yeah it's a classic it has no real melody there's not really much to it but it's one of those ones that like always sticks with me like it's one of those ones Mm. popping into my head over the years and i'll just start like grooving to nothing at all Yeah, yeah yeah i actually um i didn't realize but i've heard that one before on uh i think um they've used it in the as the intro to one of my other my most favorite podcast of all time which is game scoop um he always a lot of the times when before the podcast um he'll he'll intro it or outro it with some like with some a bit music and i've i've heard it there so yeah. obviously a favorite is too <laughs> i've also i also do have it as a ringtone for for my phone as well there you go do you remember the sword play in that game yeah <laughs> i was actually explaining to jordan right before the fact is like he goes into this like wide-legged stance and just kind of wiggles his like yeah. little stunted sword at you yeah so when i was auditioning tracks i was listening to some from wizards and warriors and i i, I have a sword yeah. so i grabbed it and tried to emulate it and i found that the best way to fight like the guy in wizards and warriors is to Grip the sword, and you can only move your elbows and your knees. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect impression. Like, there you go. It was the worst fight, like, animation. It had no range. It was just, it was terrible. And truth be told, the game itself wasn't great. It was hard. And it, uh, I think people at the time said it was uh, too easy because it had infinite continues. But the game was ridiculous and hard. And one thing that it was especially sort of blasted for, and people may know this as a fact about the game, is it had an item in it called the Cloak of Invisibility. And what the Cloak of Invisibility did was it made you invisible to you, the player. Meaning that Oh, so it made it harder. Yeah, so meaning you could not see yourself. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously the AI enemies in the game don't need to see you to no. catch you, right? But they, they would still track you. They could still see you. <laughs> But you couldn't see you. That's the opposite of a power-up. Yeah. That's the poison mushroom. But it wasn't intended to be. This was intended to be a good power-up. Oh, really? It was not like a joke or a gag. This wasn't like to troll the player. This was a maybe good power-up you were supposed to get. Maybe the director of the game like secretly hated kids or something. <laughs> kids are dumb, right? Yeah. They'll, they'll buy it. As bad as all that is, I actually want to find a copy of that game. I still want it. 
I have a lot of good memories renting that game. Oh, so you, it got sold or something at some point? I, I never owned it. I, oh, you just rented it? I, I, it was oh, okay. Games that like, because you know my local rental shop, just mom and pop shop on the corner that sold like yep. Harlequin romance novels. And, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. And syrup for soda for some reason. It was like oh, really? Syrup. Oh well. Place sold, and they rented it. They had about a stable of about thirty games. Okay. At any given time. Yep. And uh, this was one that was in regular rotation for me. It was Wizards and Warriors. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say that invisibility cloak. Isn't there something in Smash Bros? Like there's power up in Smash Bros that does that, where all the players become invisible, but it's entirely undone if you have names on because your name remains oh, above yeah. your head so you can still see yourself <laughs> but uh, no not exactly uh so norm all right first pick buddy yeah my first pick is from battletoads in battle maniacs for the snes um for those who don't know about battletoads it's it was for the the original one was for nes um quite obviously uh aiming to capitalize on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crowd. Uh, yeah. It's basically three teenage toads. Um, With attitudes. Was it, was it intended <laughs> to be like a parody or a joke, or were they like seriously I trying to compete with the turtles? I think they were trying to compete. I, I, I don't know. Or at least I, trying to, yeah. That was, we remember what the names of them are. Oh, yeah. Rash, yeah. Zitz, and Pimple. <laughs> <laughs> what attitude? Not quite Renaissance <laughs> artists. But, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were slightly colored differently, I guess, to replicate sort of the Ninja Turtles theme of being all differently colored. Yeah. yeah. One was One was huge, like big imposing physique one had shades and i can't remember the the, the characteristic of it. i think he had spiked uh spiked oh. armbands and stuff like that oh, okay yeah. he was punk rock yeah exactly yeah. he was the punk yeah and the the other feature of the battle toads was that when they attacked in the game it was kind of a double dragon style beat them up when they attacked their uh they would finish off the enemies in their you know, their fists would grow to impossibly large size, or they would turn into things like anvils or sledgehammers or battle axes, and it was uh, <laughs> right, so for some for some pretty pretty cool graphical effects. Yeah, it was like Ninja Turtles by way of Chuck Jones, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the music for Battle Toads in Battle Maniacs, the Super NES version, is a lot of it's remixed stuff from the NES version. Um, but I'm kind of a sucker for the 16-bit electric guitar sample, and Battletoads did it really well. Had really upbeat music, um, fit the kind of fast-paced nature of the game. Um, yeah, also composed by David Wise, as with many rare titles. Uh, it was released in 1993, and the track I picked was for the bonus stage. So the bonus stage was a bit weird in Battletoads. It didn't really fit any, I don't know, how to describe it? You were surfing on an air hockey puck across a chessboard, uh, trying to knock over bowling pins. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> but, uh, but the music on it was was probably my favorite track in the game. So uh, yeah, this is Battletoads and Battle Maniacs Bonus Stage.
the feature track and it's the one, one that's most memorable. And I've noticed that in a lot of games, the bonus track is also like that. It's like you remember the title track and you remember the bonus stage music. Yeah. Because the bonus stage music usually, it was, it was usually also thematically different than the rest of the game. It didn't have to fit into the rest of the levels. So it was something that sort of it stood out. It, yeah, usually it broke the theme of the game because it's uh, it's more upbeat and funky or, or trying to get you like jazzed up for some bonus. Like if you think going back to Donkey Kong series, right, you might have like some music that fits the theme of being in a dark, spooky cave. But then you hit that bonus level. You're still in the dark, spooky cave, but all of a sudden it's just like yeah. super upbeat. And yeah, I was going to say uh, DK, like that is my favorite bonus stage music is the donkey kong bonus stage music it's fantastic (laughs) and they um they did like a you know obviously like a very upgraded version for the new donkey kong country like donkey kong country returns and tropical tropical freeze they did like new bonus stage but it's just basically like a cover of the old one but obviously extremely upgraded but um i love those those songs they're like my favorite songs in the game so yeah, that's, that's another distinct thing, too, is like from games in the 90s is that electric guitar sound mm-hmm. that sort of simulated. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very biased because I grew up with that and I really <laughs> like that, that sound. I yeah. don't know how it holds up these days, but uh, to me it's great. It's still great. So The 16-bit generation was, was really, really uh, good for the guitar sounds, the Genesis, yeah. the Super Nintendo. Yeah. I think it was something that they kind of unlocked in the 16-bit era, and then everyone was just like, this is so good, and everyone wanted to use it, right? So that's why we got a lot of it. Yeah. They could do that, like, pitch shifting was the thing. Is they could yep. do, like, that sort of electric guitar slide that I don't think they had the capability to do before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get the big slides and the bends in there that you can't really... couldn't really have before. So uh, I guess we'll move on to my second pick. Oh, and I forgot to mention at the top of the podcast, but because there's four of us now, we're each only doing two picks instead of the traditional three, this this one. But anyway, my second pick, uh, DK64, the track, <laughs> the Donkey Kong rap. Oh, yeah, the DK rap. Okay. <laughs> Donkey Kong. So um, uh, actually composed again by uh, Grant Kirko, Kirk Hope, sorry, uh, in, and this is just one year before release just one year before perfect dark so 1999 um the game was pretty well received oh the expansion pack that we talked about um this was the game this game was bundled with the expansion pack because there was a bug in this game that the only way they could figure out how to solve it was with the extra ram of the expansion pack so they had to pack it in with every game and it cost rare a fortune Hmm. um because they they didn't up the price of the game they essentially were giving it away so that they wouldn't have to redo their game it had to be there is basically an apology for our game well well because without it you couldn't play the game so um it was uh yeah it was one of the things that like that and for me for a lot of my friends that was how they got their expansion pack was they just bought they were like well i could go buy the expansion pack or i could just go buy donkey kong 64 and get it for free so why not um me and my friends at the time we loved this song like we thought it was super cool because you were super cool because i guess we were super cool but uh, um not so well received actually i learned uh in doing the research um 
the line about the coconut gun was named the fourth worst game line ever by EGM. Um, Is that that's not lyrics? That's line in general. Yeah, just line in general. Um, uh, Grant though did say like after there was like the poor reception of the rap, he did say that uh, he did compose the song more as a joke more than anything else. Did you say that after? Yeah, (laughs) of course. But uh, I believe. But um, George Andreas was the game designer and um he conceived of the song like he basically commissioned grant to make it and um he performed on it and he's one of the guys rapping on it with uh, the lead programmer chris sutherland um there was a bunch of other rare staffers on the game uh, or in the song greg males steve males ed bryan and chris peel were some of the guys there um one of the other things i learned was uh, the song caused a big ruckus because the game was rated E, but the word uh, hell is in the in the song. He says one hell of a guy. And I, apparently that was a, a big deal and uh, like caused a big stir. And I guess in the UK where Rare is based, hell isn't considered offensive. So they didn't even think twice about it when they put it in there. They, he was just like, oh, it's fine because they use it all the time. But in obviously in, in the US, not so. Um the other interesting thing about the song was it wasn't localized or subtitled for Japan. So when the Japanese public got the game, they got the English DK rap and just deal with it. <laughs> so Which is awesome because I like to imagine like it got stuck in people's heads and they're singing and they don't have any idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Kids in Japan are learning English through the DK rap. They only know how to say certain words like... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So... to say coconut gun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Without further ado, here is the infamous DK rap. Stand when he needs to and stretch his arms 
Yeah. I did get exposure to this. <laughs> the game was actually. Yeah. This was it. Yeah, it's been in. Uh, I was reading. It's been in. I think all the Smash Bros. from Melee going forward, like it's been on the Donkey Kong stage as one of the songs available. Um, but actually, in Melee, they changed Hell to Heck. Did they? Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, because because of the uh, the problems that people had with it. But in Brawl and Four, they left it as Hell. So they flipped it, and then they and it's and it's performed by different people. Like they re-recorded it. Well, I was just gonna say because my first exposure to the song as well was like Norm was also uh, from Melee. Was yeah when they included Melee. So that's the first time I heard it, and I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was a big joke in Melee. So. Yeah. I but listening to this version when you uh, when uh, you had it posted there, I'm listening to it. And I'm like, this doesn't sound right. There's something different. About yeah. This. Yeah. No, they actually re-recorded it. So and um, what was the other thing I was gonna say? Oh, it was also in um, Donkey Konga. Oh, oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Oh man, then I must have played it like a billion times. (laughs) Yeah, actually, yeah, because you played the heck out of that game, so. Yeah, I used to play that game every day. (laughs) I very well just glazed, glazed over. Yeah, I I only remember playing the Pokemon theme in that. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Fair enough. I very well could have skipped skipped over this game because of this theme song because I remember seeing it and being like that's not Donkey Kong Country this is something different and the only exposure to the game I had was this theme song and all the weird new characters that were in there and I think I skipped over it because of that missed out on the DK rap I did but yeah, I know we used to like I can still this is just one of those songs like I have a couple songs rap songs for some reason in particular they get just like from my childhood that are completely stuck in my head and like i can still sing the whole thought the whole thing like dk rap i can still sing the whole thing just like how i can sing the whole poke rap yeah exactly well that's even more impressive because that that song's crazy but um the other one was like some sugar hill gang songs or just they're embedded yeah. <laughs> yeah i got some of those too yeah. you're talking like rapper's delight yeah yeah we were saying earlier that this is the uh, worst run dmc impression ever yeah <laughs> but it's it's so bad it's good <laughs> my brother and i wrote well we basically rewrote our own lyrics while we played melee so for this song oh yeah oh that's we awesome all kinds of alternates but <laughs> we were actually talking about uh having to do a like podcast. a podcast where everybody has to compose their own lyrics because Aaron was saying that was something he did for games when he was younger. Is that not a common thing? Is that not something everyone did for games when they were younger? I did. Like, you listen to the music and you like throw a jingle in there for just no reason at all. Oh yeah. And, and saying jingle is funny because in a lot of them, in a lot of games, it was literally a jingle. I would like be throwing in product names. Okay. You know, every time I do the stage in Mario 3, it was just for the taste of Diet Coke. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. But, uh, yeah. DK rap, gotta love it. It's good, good tune on the N64. Yep. Uh, I'll continue the theme on the N64. My next pick uh, is a game that uh, originally came out in the arcade and was ported to the N64. Oh, sorry, sorry, I just forgot. Back to the, uh, 64 for one second. Um, Evelyn Fisher, who I mentioned was the voice of Joanna Dark, was also on uh, part of the dev team for DK64. Mm-hmm. So just to tie it all together. Back in the days where you know they didn't hire professionals, they just grabbed whoever was in the office. Well, I guess the thing with the voice was they wanted to get someone who did an English voice for um, 
for Perfect Dark and couldn't find any, couldn't find anybody. And at the last minute, they were just like, we need a voice. And so she was like, I'll do the voice. And they brought her back for uh, the Perfect Dark sequel. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Um, no, it's all good. Uh, so, next game on my list uh, is a game called Killer Instinct. We're going with Killer Instinct 2, or as it was known on the N64 port, it was called Killer Instinct Gold. Uh, game came out back in 1996, and uh, some will say it's Nintendo's answer to Mortal Kombat. Uh, I, would, I would call it Mortal Kombat Lite, but it, essentially it was Nintendo's fighting game franchise through Rare, and uh, the, the series started, I believe, a year or two earlier on the Super Nintendo, uh, and then the sequel came out on arcades and N64 in a year or two later. Um, the composer uh, for the entire album was Robin Beanland, and I have some information that says Graham Norgate as well. Uh, so the theme that I wanted to play was Orchid's theme. Uh, it's one of the one of the few songs in the album that actually has lyrics. And when I think of the Killer Instinct soundtracks, most people will think of uh, Killer Instinct One. They released an album that came out in the '90s called Killer Cuts, and it was like <laughs> they, was it cuts with a K. I, I, you know what I think it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that that was great because they actually took the arcade quality music from the first game soundtrack, um, and they put lyrics to a lot of it. When the game was ported to the Super Nintendo, it the, most of the lyrics were stripped out of it, and in some cases there were minimal lyrics. Like some of the songs still had a couple words in there. Um, I think I think Orchid's theme in in uh, the Killer Instinct one game had lyrics. So, anyways, going into my pick which again is orchid's theme from killer instinct 2 um the i'm playing i'm going to play the arcade version because i think it has the full song and all lyrics included so let's take a listen it's called play hard on killer instinct 2 but don't be afraid don't give in to fear this is all you need to
that had pre-rendered CG visuals, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. The uh, the original on Super Nintendo, and I believe the N64 kind of followed the same the same suit because even though it was on the N64, uh, they were still using the pre-rendered graphics when they very well could have been using 3D. And I'm really glad yeah. they didn't because it was actually one of the more beautiful looking games on the N64 because of the sprites could handle much more. Yeah, the N64 stuff doesn't hold up. No, unless you look at the 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 few games that were actually in 2D. There was very few, mm-hmm. but there were some. Um, but uh, they used the same uh, new expensive engine that they got for developing the Donkey Kong games. They used that for the Killer Instinct series as well. So at the time uh, when they were developing Killer Instinct, it was um, meant to be like um, a bunch of street punk kids just fighting out in the streets. I learned there was a game called Street Fighter. (laughs) I didn't want to go there, but yes, that's exactly it. But they were just testing out the new software that they were using for Donkey Kong. Um, And I think what happened was they ended up pitching uh, what they were able to do with that software. And of course, they got the rights to doing Donkey Kong and they also were uh, funded for doing Killer Instinct as well because I think all they had was a few models and a a basic concept and Nintendo was so impressed with all their work and the power of this software that they they funded Killer Instinct just based on that. That's awesome. You know what's funny is that in my research on Rare that uh, I didn't, I don't even know how valid this is but I came across this point several times is that basically when uh, Rare became a second party sort of developer for Nintendo, they were given an unlimited budget and total freedom. Oh, I really? To do whatever they want. And I saw it mentioned several times, unlimited budget. That's crazy. Well, you just I didn't know at, that. I believe Donkey Kong Country 1 was a pack-in with the Super Nintendo. Like, that says a lot right there for a second party developer to be, you know, one of your launch games with your, your property, your console, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were packaging in a rare game to sell their Super Nintendo. Yeah, standing toe to toe with Mario, which exactly. I guess makes sense because Donkey Kong is still their property, right? So. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but Killer Instinct did have a few interesting things. Like they, they innovated the combo system. Um, I swear the announcer in the Killer Instinct series is like the best announcer so awesome. <laughs> of all time. Yes. Good impression. Um, well, let's see. Ultra Combo! <laughs> it's like the NBA Jam announcer. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, I, he's the most intense announcer. But uh, like the combo system and everything was totally pushed to the limit in the series. Like, you know, uh, combos were just recently invented in Street Fighter. You'd get like uh, a two, three hit combo and then Killer Instinct comes along and it's like we have this thing called ultra combo and um it's essentially a finishing move where you do a hundred hit combo and it was the coolest thing for its time because you're sitting there watching somebody beat the crap out of you and you just put down the controller and sit back and you just wait for five minutes for him to finish beating the snot out of you that's that's the way that makes me keep playing games when i'm playing against somebody (laughs) who's like doing a hundred hit combo on me and i'm like well thanks for the game i guess yeah Oh yeah. Play with you again. To me, that's a better uh, humiliation than uh, than doing a fatality on somebody. Yeah, and during those hundred hits, you'd have to listen to your your opponent squawk every time you hit. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly it. Uh, and I guess on that note, they I, I don't know if they invented combo breakers, but I know that was one of the first games I'd ever seen it where you could actually do a combination to get out of a combo. Whereas in other fighting games, uh, it, that wasn't a thing yet. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Ah. Cool. All right. Uh, I'm up next. Uh, my second David Wise track here, also for the NES, like my last one. This is from a game from 1990, which I'm just guessing on because my notes, I think, are, are backwards here. So, 1990 game called Time Lord. 
And this was uh, a game that was published by Milton Bradley, which kind of strikes me as odd that Milton Bradley actually published video games back in the day, but I know they did Marble Madness as well, and this. I Yeah, they I, got into a, a bit of publishing there for a while. Yeah, it just, it just seems kind of strange, because it seems to me that if Milton Bradley was going to publish a game, it would be like a tie-in to like one of their existing properties or something like that. You would think so, yeah. But uh, this was not related to anything. It was, uh, it was The game was called Time Lord, and the idea was that you were in the year 2,999, and aliens had come to Earth, and what they'd done is they'd sent all their warriors back throughout human history in order to make them weak enough to beat in the, in the future. So as the Time Lord, you had to bounce through uh, these different time periods to stop the aliens, which were, the aliens were dressed up as people from the time. So you'd go back to, like, the Old West, and you'd fight this gigantic Mexican guy in a sombrero who was an alien, I guess. <laughs> but uh, it seemed like a pretty weak excuse just to have a varied theme. But the, you'd travel through, uh, you'd go to medieval England in the year 1250 and fight dragons because that's totally consistent with human history. So they, Were they alien dragons or just they dragons? They must have been alien dragons. <laughs> Maybe dra- all dragon lore is yeah. just it was an alien race that we couldn't understand. Probably. But, uh, it's possible. Then you'd go to you went to the old west in the U.S. in the year 1860. You'd go to the Caribbean in 1650 to fight pirates, obviously. Yeah. And then you'd go to France in 1943 to fight in World War II. And the music that David Wise composed for this was really interesting. There were very distinct themes for every level, like that really fit in. So you, when you're in World War II, it's all like snare drum and like marching kind of songs. And uh, then in the old west, uh, he totally ripped off Ennio Morricone like the good, the bad, and the ugly yeah. soundtrack. It has that total feel to it. And I love that track too. It's my second favorite in the game is is the uh, Old West theme. But uh, uh, the track that I chose was actually the title track. So Yep, yeah, there you go again. Uh, another thing to mention about this game is that, like, I think Wizards and Warriors, I said it wasn't received all that well. This is received even worse. Time Lord is not a great game. It's super hard because... Uh, to advance, you have to collect these orbs, and the orbs are like hidden in the levels. So unless you know what you're doing, and a lot of them are invisible, so you have to do a specific thing, like jump into the air, bounce off of an invisible bounce point, and then hit a certain spot in the air, like kick a spot just randomly in the air to make it appear. So it was the <laughs> dumbest game as far as like advancing. And on top of that, you were timed. So you had a little timer that was counting up the year. It started January 1st, 2,999, and would count up to New Year's Eve on the year 3000, which is when the aliens would have won their little thing. So they should have just called the game Timer Lord. Timer Lord. Ha, and ha, it's ha. funny, Timer Lord, wah, because wah. the track that I'm going to play is actually my, I've set it as my timer <laughs> on my phone. So every time I'm like, you know, cooking a hamburger or whatever like that, and like set timer for a few minutes. And then it, uh, when it runs out, it plays the Timer Lord theme and I won't shut it off. It's like whatever it is can burn because I'm just listening. To the- <laughs> I'll just let that. He's grooving. That's right. And uh, so I was going to say this critic, Michael Baker, I don't know what he wrote for, some, some gaming mag back in the 90s. Yeah. And he referred to the gameplay as dull and repetitive, citing that most people would not have the patience to finish this game. One and a half out of five stars. Awesome. <laughs> not a glowing review. That one and a half was just for the soundtrack, it right? It must have been because, you know. <laughs> Terrible game, but great soundtrack. And to go back just to David Wise, like obviously prolific composer, excellent composer, but that is quite a mandate to hand your composer. Like we have this game and you're going to be in like six different time periods, like compose something for everyone. Like that's, that's a challenge. Yeah, exactly. And like it's six different styles and 
they're all great. Like, yeah. All really well done. So this is the title track from Time Lord. It's not surprising because nobody played Time Lord, but and and you say you say the ads looked awesome, but the only reason we owned it is I think, and this may have been like the first and only time that we let my younger brother um, pick out a game. Oh, really young at the time, <laughs> and it's like all right, time. It's just cover cover art based, right? You you get to pick the game this time. What do you want? I don't know. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was his birthday. I can't remember, but out of and it was like the wall of games at Toys R Us, and Time Lord was what he picked, and I'm sure he picked it solely on the awesome cover where there's a guy standing there in a full suit of armor and there's like a clock behind him and there's like a knight and like things jumping out and aliens. Yeah, well he's, that he's was probably you... going on the logic, right? He's like, I want to get the best value, the best bang for my buck. So he's like, what do I like? Well, I like guys in armor and I like uh, I like cowboys. <laughs> I like dragons. Oh, it's got everything. <laughs> it's like 10 games in one. Yeah, exactly. But, it, you know, as bad as the game is, we, we kind of forced ourselves to love it. I played that game a lot, even though, yeah. you know, it was it was hard and not very well designed. But I probably played it just to hear the music more than anything. And I've never beaten it. And that, that, was, that was the way things were back then. You bought oh, yeah. a game based off its cover because you had no other way of knowing unless your friend told you it was good or bad. And whether it was good or bad, you had to learn to like it because you just spent a buttload of money on it yeah. as a kid, and you're not getting another game till your birthday. So you better play this one. Exactly, like sixty bucks for an NES. Oh yeah, oh yeah, crazy. Time, so. And so we force ourselves to play through it just to listen to the music. And also tying into our earlier point about how awesome bonus music is from it, is that this game has a really great password. Um, entry screen. Oh, okay. So a lot of games have as well. Yeah. The password entry screen is usually like a three second loop, but it's so catchy that you just can't. Yeah. Okay. Some games catchy. like like Mega Man, where it's like the password theme is like one of the best songs in the game. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For sure. All right. Norm, uh, to you. All right. So my uh, second pick is from Donkey Kong Country, the first one for Super Nintendo. Uh, once again, composed by David Wise. Uh, the game was released in 1994. It was, uh, I was reading up on it, and I guess it was the second best-selling Super Nintendo game, right behind Super Mario World. Um, was that because it was a pack-in? I wonder, I, when you guys mentioned that it was a pack-in, I had forgotten that fact. But yeah, yeah both those, games those two were packed in, right? Yeah. So mm. that, that makes, it makes sense, but um, yeah. To my mind, I think it was probably the first game to have mainstream success using uh, pre-rendered 3D, 3D graphics. Um, and I think we mentioned earlier, it just—I think it blew everyone away when when they saw the graphics for it. It's uh, definitely blew me away, and you know the animations were were something I'd, I'd never seen. So, yeah, really impressive game. Um, that's the one I played the most of. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I just want to, if I can jump in there, I want to say what's hilarious now is that we were all blown away at the time that it was like pre-rendered 3D stuff, and that was like so new and so incredible. But nowadays, it's like, I want to see awesome sprite work. Anytime I see you like, yeah. pre-rendered a 3D character, it's totally flipped. put it yeah. in there, yeah, like you failed in my mind. Yeah. yeah. 
and sprite work now is getting so expensive and so it's so rare to find people who are good at it yeah. that it's 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 almost impossible to get. But we but, love it. It's beautiful. It's clean. Oh, it's gorgeous. Well, it's because I think the bar is set so high on sprite work now because people are ex- expecting high frame rate with the sprite work. So yeah. that's a lot more work. There's a lot more frames. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So so the track I picked was from Vine Valley. Uh, that that's the whole stage. Um, not the individual level, but it was kind of a, it had an old growth forest aesthetic to it. And I really like this because I'm, I'm from the coast, uh, coast of Canada. And uh, it just, you know, the level reminded me a lot of the forests that I played in as a kid. And I thought it, it really, it really did a good job of reproducing that. So, so both that level and this track in particular stuck with me. It uh, compared to, you know, the Battletoads, which was really upbeat with the guitar. This is a, a lot more calming and it has kind of a mysterious tone to it. Uh, yeah, so this is, uh, sorry, the track is called Forest Frenzy from Donkey Country. steals Donkey Kong's banana horde in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is, is he like an alligator? He doesn't... Yeah. yeah. yeah he's is he a well, dinosaur? They, they're Rattling. called... Cre- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Technically, that's what they're called. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think they're... Off is what they well, yeah. I think they're alligators. He looks like one. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the entire but race. But for bananas. <clears throat> no. No. He's a vegetarian alligator. <laughs> Very rare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's... Yeah. I, like, what is he? He's a pirate... He's a... Pirate king, king, I guess, yeah. Despot, he's like... He's a mad scientist in the third game. Yeah. yeah <laughs> wow, like, he really is a renaissance. <laughs> he's a renaissance alligator. Yeah, hero <laughs> That'd be actually really cool if they did one from his perspective. Traditionally, Donkey Kong is the villain, right? Well, yeah. Originally, yeah. Well, 
Some say Cranky Kong is the original Donkey Kong. That, that's, that's true, true. yeah. That is, is true. Is that, is that canon? Is because that DK is Donkey it, Kong think, Jr. Because in Mario Kart, there was also Donkey Kong, but it was Donkey Kong Jr. as well. Yeah, that's that's correct. And, I'm almost sure. And, and in the Donkey Kong series, when you go to uh, Cranky's save point in one of the games, he actually mentions how video games were different when he used to be in them, and he refers to Donkey Kong. So you're saying that wife beater shirt guy from Donkey Kong Jr. and Donkey Kong Jr. math or whatever the hell it is. Yes. Is the Donkey Kong that we're playing today. Is the guy in the DK rap song. Yeah. Yeah, he, he upgraded his wife beater to a nice tie. Yeah, he's an adult now, so he goes from <laughs> a wife beater to a tie. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty know. much. That's the stage. That's how you become an adult. Yeah. And and the first thing you see when you start up Donkey Kong Country is Cranky Kong standing on those red yes. iron girders yes. playing his gramophone. And it's the original Donkey Kong music. I don't think you need any more proof than that. No, yeah, that's... Then, yeah, Donkey Kong and Dixie come, uh, sort of Diddy, fall down with the boombox and knock him off. and you know. Out with the old, in with the new. Yeah. The hip the is here. That's right. Yeah. Backwards caps, sunglasses and all. Yeah. Poochie. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. But they had staying power. They're still around. Yeah. I, I've never had any love for Diddy, but my only experience with him is generally from the Smash Brothers series. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta love those uh, those peanut guns, the peanut poppers. Um, but yeah, usually we finish with our fan submission song, but today we brought the fan here. So, but we will uh, let you know what the topic is for the next uh, podcast, and that is retro arrangements. So, what we mean by that is any song that was featured in pop culture, TV, movies, whatever. Like it would be an actual licensed song. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, Batman, Michael Jackson. There's tons yeah. of there's oh, yeah. tons of examples movie game like you know if you had a star wars game yep super star wars or something like that if it had the theme in it that's a retro all, all the capcom games based on disney properties they all had like the ducktales theme darkwing duck theme Rescue chip and dale yeah. oh yeah yeah oh that's a great one yeah let's not give away too many though yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that next uh, get into that uh next month but uh yeah so that's the uh the topic for the next one so um hop on to twitter tweet at vgm generations with your suggestion for a retro arrangement and uh we'll go through and pick our favorite um so moving forward we're going to wrap up with what we always wrap up with which is what we've been playing lately so personally um i've jumped back into assassin's creed yet again <laughs> because there's enough to play at the end of time exactly so i could play assassin's just assassin's creed probably forever which one are you playing uh rogue okay so uh i'm going backwards in time and um Rogue was one that I had heard positive things about. Um, also, uh, if you don't know, it was one of those. It was one of those weird games where it was released basically at the same time as um, Unity. Yeah. yeah. So they basically released, and it was like it was kind of at the crossover point between 360, Xbox One, PS3, PS4. So it was like here's the game for people who still have those old consoles and here's the new game unity was the next gen one exact at the time right yeah it was using the old engine and interestingly that was the uh, assassin's creed 4 engine as well yes yeah. yeah it was a black flag engine now after having playing unity and a bit of uh i just started on um syndicate um jumping to those old graphics was a little rough <laughs> like it was just getting into that and like i don't know it it feels a bit a budget game just in like the menus and stuff are really barren really like like two-toned it's just like you know what year did this game come out but the game itself is still pretty solid 
Uh, I can't say I like the main character as much as I liked um, the Black Flag main character. Kenway. Kenway, yeah. This is fantastic. He's yeah. just like so charming and stuff He's like that. He's no but no one is Ezio. Yeah, but no one's Ezio. But, um, but the, you know, it's still got that good Assassin's Creed feel. And then, um, oh, Rocket League hoops. So Rocket League, uh, yeah, every, every every podcast I mentioned Rocket League, but Rocket League released a new um, a new variant, which is uh, hoops, so you're actually playing basketball. So uh, it's a three-on-three um, style game, and uh, it's really fun. It's really fun. And I'm actually decent at it, which is weird, because it's like... <laughs> you're decent at a game where all outcomes are random? Yeah, pretty much. But <laughs> but I've, I've, I've managed to, I feel, inject some skill into the hoops, but uh, no, it's pretty good. It's... Um, it's a lot of fun either way, so that's that's what I've been playing. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been playing a little bit of PC and a little bit of retro uh, right now. I just sort of finishing up a game. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna hundred percent it because it's kind of getting too hard for me. Uh, it's called Odalis: The Dark Call. It's a Castlevania inspired. I should say Castlevania one, two, three, the original series inspired mm-hmm. um, platformer game, uh, and. I've kind of made my way to the game's version of Dracula's Tower, and I can't seem to beat it. I just heard about this, and yeah, and it's like the last level is just impossible. Yeah. It's just crushing. Well, that's the thing is I expected, like in a Castlevania game, that the final boss would have its multiple forms. Yep. Um, but it's just, it, it, it took me a couple, it took me almost a week to figure out to how to beat its first form and then at that point I was like blowing through it and then his second form took me another couple days and now it's like I can't I can't put any more time into this because I can't figure out how to get through his maybe final form maybe I don't know maybe he's got 10 forms I think it is three so yeah. you're, you're almost well, there but the magic video game number. it, it is, is yeah and, and if you see the evolution of his forms it's like it's a human form another human form and then it's like Satan and it's like okay there's probably not anything <laughs> past this ultra Satan ultra Satan. <laughs> Super Satan. I, I, I love the game because graphically they uh, went above and beyond just imitating Castlevania um, because they've gone as far as um, putting like the color banding lines across the screen like you're playing it on a CRT and uh, it even has a bit of curvature to the side graphics. Oh, like so it looks like you're CRT. watching it on a curved CRT bubbled screen. Yeah. So like the menus on the sides. Oh, that's the other thing. They put the menus on the sidebars. So the left and right side of the screen is your inventory and health menus so that you're actually playing on a four by three screen your menus are on the sides yeah. and the whole thing has a has a bubbled curve to it like you're playing it on an old tube that's tv nice. does it also have like a, you know like color bleed as well a little bit yeah like it looks like it's all buzzing that's sure. a really that's a really nice way to do that with you know to put a four by three game inside of a 16 by nine screen generally you know you get some artwork or something around the side yeah. but to put the to put information that you need all the time up on the side that's smart why yeah. not yeah and that's that's essentially what i've mostly been playing uh i've been uh, just recently picked up a couple old super nintendo games uh trying to play through this one called equinox uh because i was a big fan of the original before it which was solstice on nintendo so this is a super nintendo sequel uh you just run around as this um this guy going through like underground caves and stuff and it's an isometric puzzle platformer game and that's another one i don't know if i'm going to keep playing because i have gotten up to world three at this point and um it's starting to feel 
a little broken and unfair in the in the actual game itself and i always heard the game wasn't the best but you know i played through the first couple levels and i was like this game isn't that bad and then i got to world three and i kind of said oh okay oh there it is i I think i see what you're saying now so i'm gonna give it another couple nights and see if i keep playing it but that's that's pretty much what i've been thousands of retro titles that you have just you know you can only play the first level of anything exactly yeah (laughs) (laughs) on to other stuff yes all right. Uh, what have I been playing? It's uh, <laughs> I've been playing the same thing. It seems for a long time. I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I was playing the HD remake of uh, Twilight Princess, and I'm still playing the HD remake. It's been slow going. I just haven't had a lot of time, but I'm working my way through. I'm close to the end. Where? I'm like, I'm, sorry. Where are you in the game? Oh, I'm at the very end. I just I'm on the fight with Zant. Awesome. Okay. So, spoiler alert for Twilight Princess. There's a guy named Zant. He's a big bad guy. This him. isn't the final boss fight of the game but no. uh, it's very close so i'm sort of beat the uh, twilight realm is what's happening is i'm just about to beat the twilight realm and really i'm just i'm trying to fit in as much time as i can to get twilight prince sort of princess off of my plate and i am playing it like i've always played twilight princess i played through it dozens of times and i always go for like 100% completion so i'm going for oh, okay. you know all my upgrades all my art uh, containers and everything and of course i'm also playing it on hero mode which cuts the damage you take like doubles the damage you take then i'm playing it with the ganon amiibo as well scanning that in there so it's additional double damage so everything's four times the damage so when when you get hit so i'm going for absolute punishment i'm playing it dark souls style is what i'm doing um very personal question for me when it comes to twilight princess when you say 100 percent, does that also mean that tilt game yes it means oh god but but that thing was the bane of uh, do you know how many weeks i spent on that thing what does that mean tilt game like you know like those old school like roll the marble around the maze yeah yeah Yeah, that's that's in the fishing in the fishing in the hut She's got a game she made called Roll Goal, and it was basically a gimmick because uh, it's to get the, the version, best lure. Yeah, on the Wii version, you'd actually hold your Wiimote flat, and then you would tilt it now, to get through it. Was this a Wii exclusive, or was that in the GameCube version? It may. Have I have no idea because I've GameCube only version. played the GameCube version. Yeah, and, oh shit! And I don't know if I remember that or not. And yeah, because it was basically a gimmick, so you could play a tilt-based control game. Yeah, it was labyrinth, and you basically had to roll a marble on top of these like narrow platforms to get from the start to the finish of these little mazes. And uh, yes, I did also oh my God. So wait, so did they do that? Are you playing with the gamepad? I'm playing with the gamepad. Yeah. So do they just use the gamepad yes, for it? I bet it's a bit, bit better with the gamepad. Well, I feel like I would have more control with two hands. That said, I found the control for it way better in the Wii version using really? the Wii remote oh, than the gamepad, which is really, really touchy for doing it. I've most of the role when i was doing roll goal i didn't really use the controls because you can use the thumbstick as well oh okay yeah i just use the thumbstick of course um anyway roll goal is is kind of bs i cheated that part of that game because they're like so what it was was you play that game to get the ultimate lure wherein you could catch the biggest fish yeah so but you could get you could like somehow cheat your way to get a different lure 
I had to look it up, but yeah. you could cheat your way to get a different lure, which also would catch you. But if she caught you with the lure, she would take it away. Yes. Yeah. 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 What was the other one? The other lure, I, I'm trying to remember how that one actually worked. You had to... Uh, you had to exchange some shit or something. I can't remember. I, I can't remember. I was actually looking into that fairly recently too, but I always did only the legit lures. Of course, yeah. Actually. So wait, in all the times you've played it, you've never done the cheat lure? I, I think I did the first time. Okay. But I don't think I ever did it after yeah. as well. Because I mean, there was a problem with thing is, is as i don't really remember the cheat lure from twilight princess but i do remember the one from ocarina of time mm. so you get the sinking lure right which yep. was illegal and you couldn't use it yeah in there as well so i bought the rubble pack yeah. just for fishing <laughs> but uh yeah and that's the thing it's like capturing all of the get, getting all the poe ghosts yep. in the games the other things yeah oh all man yeah stuff. holy moly yeah man i gotta play that game so i'm trying to sorry are, are the stamps part of your process as well the stamps are part of my process yeah. though once i get to the end of the game if i haven't found all the stamps by that time i may yeah. need a little assistance <laughs> because they, while they put a sort of away they've given you a new item it's a lantern that you hold that glows blue if a poe is in the area okay so they've given you a way to actually find out where the poes are that you've missed which mm. is great yeah but the stamps are new so the actual we me verse stamps oh i didn't yeah i didn't know about this they've basically taken some of the treasure chests in the game instead of giving you rupees they give you stamps instead so oh Okay. Collect like the entire Hillian alphabet. I see. As well as like a whole bunch of characters and expressions and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm going for those as well, and I'm I, I'm missing about eight or so of them. But I don't know if near the end of the game they're going to sort of tell me anything about where they are, or if I just have to yeah find them over the course of the game. Now I may, they may actually still be coming. So if you 100% the game, does Link get into a bikini and? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's the only reason I'm playing so um, <laughs> But speaking of the battle with Zant, now refresh me if I'm wrong, but isn't that where Zant no longer was cool? Yeah, <laughs> was yeah. that in that battle, right? It, it doesn't happen in that battle. It happens, well, it does kind of happen before that battle because the second he reveals his face. Yeah. And then like, because... That, that's where he takes off his mask, yes, right? Yeah. He takes off his mask and then he sort of shows himself to be sort of this whiny, weak. He's got some like really unusual things that you see often in a Nintendo game where he's like going into weird poses. Yeah, very Japanese. Yeah. yeah. And I recall they did the same with Majora or the, uh, the Skull Kid in Majora's Mask. I don't know if it was the Skull Kid, but was it, it was Majora when, himself? Yeah, it was Majora himself. He also did uh, this a similar thing where he no longer became like creepy and scary and kind of became just really goofy. goofy. Weird. Yeah. 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 And that was sort of the problem. Xanth was always this really imposing and they did a great job of setting, setting him. I feel like maybe they do it like to make the game's more Nintendo. Like, it's like, we can't keep it scary. Like, we need to reveal in the end that he's just a goofy guy wearing a mask. I think it worked well for Twilight Princess just because, you know, when they reveal him to basically be this whiny, like, petulant little jackass, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> they, and once they reveal him to be this weak character, then it's, of course, revealed that he's not behind it. He's so not they, the boss. Yeah. It's Ganon because it always is yeah. Ganondorf. They make up for it, essentially. And Ganondorf in Twilight Princess is badass, badass Ganondorf. Oh, yeah. He's one of the coolest, one yeah. of the coolest, no question, Ganondorf. So I'm, with all of that said, I'm really, I'm really trying to get to the end of Twilight Princess just because, on one hand, I'm holding Dark Souls 3, waiting for that, and on the other hand, um, Uncharted 4 is coming up in a few days. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for both of those games, so I just need to make sure things are clear. Yeah. So nobody wants to play Star Fox Zero right now? No. <laughs> no. no. All right. Not the most positive reviews, but okay. anyway, gloss over that. 
No. No. Yeah. So right now I'm playing. Uh, I'm kind of between games right now. I'm I'm debating whether or not to go right into Dark Souls Three, which I'm definitely going to pay, play. Which <laughs> whether it's right now or in a bit. Um, and the other thing I just picked up. Overwatch went into open beta just two days ago. So, oh, nice! Yeah, I tried out Overwatch the last couple nights. Uh, really impressive. So, did you buy it to get into the open beta? No, it's just oh, it's just wide open right now. Anyone? Oh man, I gotta get in on that. Tonight. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <So>, Tonight. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's a Blizzard game through and through. The yeah. Design, the it just shines like a Blizzard. Game. We should all jump in and see how it feels when we're all playing together. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> yeah. So Overwatch probably going to take my gaming time this weekend um and then yeah probably jump into dark souls 3 who's your fave character in overwatch right now I, who do you like to play i like farah she's kind of this egyptian offensive player she's is she the one with the wings the, the, the white wings no the white wings she's a healer oh, okay she's kind of an angel i can't remember what her name is it's Mercy, I think. Okay. Yeah. Makes Should sense. the sexy camp, because I know there's a lot of controversy with character design in Overwatch. Well, it was, uh, it was Tracer. Tracer, yeah. Tracer's yeah. pose, yeah. Tracer's pose. Which they changed, and it changed nothing. Like, I think that was one of those, like, really subtle, like, here you go, we fixed it. And it's like, suck on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, was really, it was really one of those ones where, like, all right, enjoy this instead. And it really, like, it was like almost no difference. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it's... You know, it's a Blizzard game, and I spent probably the first hour and a half just going through the menus and yeah, you know, all the options. Hyper high polish. Oh, totally. Yeah, and then uh, I've I've been interested in this game a lot. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. My um, uh, one of my buddies got into one of the earlier closed betas and stuff like that, and he was playing it, and uh, it looks great. And my favorite thing about it's one of those games where it's like it is gonna suck you in but it uh where all the outfits most of the outfit variants are just color variants but then the like top end outfit variants are like a whole new outfit and they're so cool very cool yeah they're not selling those outfits are they i don't i think you might be able to buy in-game currency yeah you get loot boxes yes you do well so i've got a couple loot boxes i don't think this will be saved because it's the beta but yeah i suspect it'll be similar to hearthstone and that you can probably right. buy loot boxes yeah so you can either play enough and will eventually get what you want or you can pay and just get what you want yeah 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 very hearthstone-esque which is you know like blizzard needed more money but it's working unbelievably yeah. for them which i'm generally fine with as long as it's cosmetic stuff right yeah and it is it's purely cosmetic so yeah but goddamn is it cool <laughs> yeah it, i don't know just kind of as a side with hearthstone you know i used to play magic the gathering and and i would maybe buy a booster pack once a week okay and, you know if you play hearthstone you can you can get one for free every two or three days so yeah yeah i don't know it's giving you the same sort of incentives it's not if you view it like that it's not it's not so bad so are you a big hearthstone guy like do you still do you play it all the time or uh not anymore okay through a phase yeah Uh, yeah i played it for about six weeks or something yeah i know some people where that game just got its hooks in them and like just that they play it every night Every night they play some Hearthstone. They might not play for hours, but every yeah. night they play. And it's been like since the game came out. So. Oh yeah, it's it's well done. Yeah. 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 It's 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 fun to watch once you start to understand it. It's fun to watch people play it too and see the strategies and see people's like it's a, it's a fun game to like watch on Twitch or something because it's a thinking game, right? It's like watching a match of chess or something because you once you understand, you're starting to say, oh, okay, you could do that, you could do that, and then they play out these like master plans right because they know kind of what they have in their deck and stuff is this the next like league of legends kind of thing 
sort of. It, it's it, more of a magic thing. Big esports kind of game. It 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 is already a bit to a degree. Um, I don't think they've had like yeah. I don't know that it's going to go Dota levels or anything like that. But um, but yeah, it, it definitely has its community, mm-hmm. and people people seem to love it. So in that case, I'm uh, I'm afraid to play it. Yeah, well, it is nice though. There is nice ranked, and 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 you can play a lot just against AI and stuff and mm-hmm. get into it. So good. I don't have the time to be that. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Is like uh, there's there's certain games where it's like if you want to play, you just have to just play that. If you want to be, if you want to play it all. Yeah. And Dota is that game. So yeah, a lot of a lot of Dota stories, but we'll save those for another day. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the fourth episode of vgm generations uh remember to post your suggestions for next month's podcast on the vgm generations twitter and uh if you want to contact contact us about anything else have any other questions you want to ask us or suggestions or anything like that uh we're more than happy to read them and reply the email is vgmgenerations at gmail.com so until next time